Hello and welcome to the Faculty Podcast, covering the latest breakthroughs, research news and insight, delivered by the world's leading academic and industry figures. In this episode, Saul Newman, Goldsmiths, University of London, discusses why insurrections occupy a central concept in radical politics. I mean, the article is really an attempt to uh, formulate a distinct um, definition of uh, an insurrection as opposed to a, a revolution. Um, and it's actually a way of, um, I guess, conceptualizing or you know, theoretically understanding some sort of contemporary forms of political mobilization which don't really fit in with the classic model of revolution, which, you know, as we know from, you know, 19th century and early 20th century and the 18th century to 20th century uh, politics is a form of uh, action which is, you know, led by a vanguard, a revolutionary vanguard of some kind and which is intended to you know, seize control of of, of, uh, of the power of the state. So we think, for instance, of the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917, for instance. Um, but what we're seeing today, I think, is a different model of politics, which is, you know, uh, more to do with mass protests and acts of civil disobedience, which don't necessarily seek to somehow seize control of state power to form a new kind of state, but rather to suspend um, and or at least call into question the very legitimacy and authority of governments to govern. So, in a way, the article was, was sort of written as a kind of a response or an attempt to understand, uh, you know, movements such as, you know, Occupy Wall Street in t- 2011, um, the Egyptian, so-called Egyptian Revolution or the Tahrir Square um, occupation also in the same year, uh, the, what was called the 15M uh, movement in Spain, you know, which kind of, in a sense, lasted from 2011 to 2015. So, in a way, 2011, I think, was actually a pivotal year for the emergence or the flowering of, of a new kind of uh, sort of radical political mobilization. And although many of these movements were quite different, um, you know, they, they, shared, they shared a number of uh, uh, important characteristics, one of which I think was a refusal to be represented by traditional political parties. Um, so one of the, you know, the sort of the rallying cries of the uh, squares movement in Madrid, for instance, was, you know, you do not represent us. In a way, it was kind of a rejection of this whole idea that you know politics can only be represented by a political party of some kind, and this was actually a refusal of um, uh, of that kind of logic. Um, many of these movements were horizontally organised in the sense they didn't have a kind of a, a centralised um, leadership. Uh, in some ways, they're actually closer to to anarchism as a kind of a um, a way of kind of organising uh, political struggles. And they also adopt as, you know, quite innovative uh, modes of communication and kind of decentralized decision-making. And I think, you know, if you look at what's going on today or the year that's just been, I mean, we can say that 2019 was also, you know, the year of the insurrection. If you look at, you know, all of these kinds of mass protests that have been going on in Hong Kong, uh, Iran, Iraq, Chile, uh, France with the uh, Gilets jaunes, of course, the global extinction rebellion, I think we can once again see similar kinds of uh, characteristics. So, um, in a way, what I thought was, uh, you know, we, the, the language of political theory, um, in a way, lacks a kind of a, um, a way of understanding this, this kind of new uh, form of political mobilization. This is where it develops the notion of what I call the insurrection. Now, in most people's minds, the insurrection is usually associated with you know, the idea of an armed insurrection or some kind of, you know, sort of violence against the state. And this is precisely not what I have in mind, actually. What I have in mind is a kind of a a form of civil civil disobedience, mass civil disobedience, which essentially 
calls into question the legitimacy of governments, the legitimacy of the existing political order, but does not actually seek to, in a sense, destroy the political order, and certainly not through violence, but actually, in a sense, just seeks to sort of suspend it so that there's so the space emerges for new kinds of uh, autonomous political relationships and organizations to, to form. I suppose in, in trying to understand the idea of the insurrection from a kind of a sort of political theory or, or a, you know, a philosophical point of view, um, I've actually compared two philosophers who are not often really uh, brought together or, or compared, uh, at least not to my knowledge. And one is the, um, the, the sort of German 19th century individualist anarchist, Max Stirner, which was a pseudonym for his real name, Johann Kaspar Schmidt, who's one of the key um, uh, sort of figures of the young Hegelian movement and a contemporary of uh, Marx and uh, various other important philosophers at his time, um, on the one hand, and the, a contemporary uh, Italian thinker, Giorgio Agamben, um, who is, I suppose, one of the key, uh, I guess you'd call them post-Heideggerian uh, continental philosophers uh, uh, writing today, he's you know quite famous for his um, book series called Homo Sacer. Anyway, so um, I've tried to bring these two thinkers together around this notion of the insurrection to develop kind of a deeper philosophical understanding of it. Um, and so what I've done was uh, sort of compared Stirner's idea of the insurrection with Agamben's notion of constituent power, and I'm, I'm just going to briefly try to explain what I mean by these two terms actually because they're quite they're quite complex and I don't want to um, I don't want to sort of um, you know be overly complex but I want to try to get a sense of, of, of what these two forms of politics uh, you know really mean as far as these two thinkers are concerned so Sterner in a way contrasts the insurrection with the revolution okay these are two completely different forms of political action Sterner says that the insurrection is a form of action which starts from the self from the individual rather than being aimed at changing or transforming ex external political institutions. And his reasoning here is that if you seek to overthrow um, existing political and legal institutions, you only end up reinventing them. So, you know, his point would be that, you know, all revolutions end up reinventing sovereignty or reinventing the authority of the state. They just simply replace one set of institutions with, with a different set. And this, if you like, is the fate of all revolutions. So what we have to do, he says, is in a way focus on the self um, and in a way um, find ways of detaching ourselves from our dependence upon political institutions and our, our kind of involvement and participation within them. And if we do this, he says, the institutions just kind of fall apart because they, they lose, um, uh, I suppose, any kind of uh, sort of you know, support or any, any sort of, um, uh, uh, what would you say, any, any kind of... Um, uh, sort of complicity. People just kind of withdraw and disengage from institutions. So what he's really focusing on, I think, in, in quite an interesting way, is is a kind of an internal transformation of the self, even a kind of a revolution or an insurrection against the self, you might say, such that the the self is almost sort of almost sort of spiritually transformed in a way that um, allows us to kind of divest or detach ourselves from institutions. It's a very interesting idea. Now, Agamben, um, the contemporary Italian philosopher, comes up with a similar notion of what he calls destituent power. Um, and once again, this requires a little bit of explanation, actually, um, because um, you know what's, uh, what's also interesting about Agamben is he's often accused by many of his critics of being a kind of a political nihilist um, uh, or of um, 
I suppose, describing sovereign power in such a way that it seems to allow very few opportunities for any kind of escape from it or, or any kind of um, uh, sort of emancipatory politics. But I think this is essentially a misreading of, of the Gump, and I think there certainly is a room, uh, there is a room within his thinking for uh, for understanding, you know, um, uh, a, a form of politics of resistance, if you like. So, destituent power um, is distinct, he would say, from both constituting and constituted power. What do I mean by these two terms? Every revolution uh, represents these two dominant modes of power which are linked. So constituting power is the power of the people to, in a sense, overthrow an existing political order. Right. So the French Revolution, the Russian Revolution, all these revolutions, the people have kind of overthrown you know the 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 ancien regime, the monarchical regime, uh, for instance, or, or you know the the order of state power. What happens, however, is that they, in doing so, they invent a new form of power, a new set of laws, a new constitutional order. So once again, we we go back to this problematic whereby revolutions always reinvent what they seek to overthrow. Destituent power, by contrast, is um, an idea which he takes from the German philosopher Walter Benjamin um, and his very complicated notion of divine violence, which I won't even try to uh, to uh, to explain. But it's it's a way of sort of, in a way, suspending these two poles of constituting and constituted power, and in a way, what he called deinstituting power, because he doesn't once again seek to create a new set of institutions, nor does it seek to destroy them as such. Right, but once again, to kind of momentarily suspend their authority and their legitimacy, such that new relations between people can can emerge, that people can kind of organise their lives autonomously, you know, without this this kind of um, uh, without being kind of focused on sort of you know institutional power. And also, he says it's not about making demands upon the state. It's not about saying to the government, you know, give us this and give us that and give us certain rights or give us certain you know, privileges and that kind of thing. Because if you do this, if you make demands upon the state, you only, in a sense, reinforce state power. In other words, you you, you see the government as that which can grant you the power to either give you these demands or not. Right. So once again, the focus is is on about is 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 to do with a form of kind of autonomous self-organisation rather than being focused on external institutions. I mean, what I find in the Gambans' um, political thought which is nevertheless very you know, interesting and very powerful in many ways, is a certain kind of uh, emphasis on, I suppose, what you call politics of uh, passivity. Right. So um, one of the... But when, when he's trying to kind of develop this, this alternative notion of politics, which he refers to as what he calls inoperativity, being inoperative, which is a very kind of complicated uh, idea which he takes from a number of thinkers, including Aristotle and Georges Bataille, and so once again, it's very kind of complicated sort of uh, you know, philosophical basis for this. But um, what he's talking about is a kind of politics without, without an end goal, right? So it's not a, it's not a form of politics which is um, intended to create, I don't know, you know, the ideal society, for instance, you know, like, a, like a, kind of a Marxist, you know, communist vision of society or something. Um, it's not even about solving political problems as such. It's more about... Um, uh, you could say it's more about a sort of a politics um, which is about living differently in the, in the present moment and living in a way which is, in a sense, sort of autonomous from the law and autonomous from political power. 
Now, uh, I think this idea is very, is, is very interesting and very valid and very important, but what I find problematic, I think, about uh, Agamben is that it kind of implies, at the same time, um, a politics which is quite sort of passive and quite um, desubjectifying. I'm going to explain what I mean by this. So the example he gives is a, a character taken from um, Herman Melville's novel Bartleby the Scrivener. Now, Bartleby, the figure of Bartleby is a, a kind of a, uh, a, he works in a, in, a, in a law firm as a kind of a legal copyist. So he you know, basically copies out legal letters and so on. He's like a clerk, I suppose you could say. And every time his boss asks him to do something, um, as per his job description, he says, I prefer not to. And he says this in a very kind of gentle way. There's no, you know, sort of opposition or, or, or aggression or animosity. He simply says, oh, look, I, I prefer not to. And oddly, this, this kind of character, um, who's kind of the embodiment of this kind of extreme passivity and, and sort of indifference, if you like, ends up throwing the whole sort of, you know, sort of workplace, uh, as you can imagine, to kind of a state of, you know, confusion and crisis, the point where it completely breaks down. Now, what's interesting about Bartleby is that, you know, he, in the end, he just kind of, it's a very odd character, he's just sort of like starves himself to death, so he dies to, uh, of starvation in prison. So he becomes this kind of symbol of this kind of gesture of passivity. He doesn't oppose, he simply says, I prefer not to. And the whole sort of system kind of crumbles down around him. Now, um, what I've done in the article is kind of contrast this with uh, Stirner's interesting idea of ownness, um, which he distinguishes from freedom. He says that, you know, freedom is this kind of um, abstract ideal which we're kind of uh, encouraged to follow, but we don't really know what freedom means today. You know, freedom can mean many things. Sometimes, you know, your idea of freedom might be very different from mine. Freedom is always an imposition of one particular ideal upon other people, so it becomes, in the end, the very, the very antithesis of freedom. Whereas ownness, he says, is uh, about the individual's, um, I suppose you could say the individual's, freedom to determine his or her own course of freedom. So in, in a way, it's more sort of, uh, if you like, individualistic or more singular. Um, and it's also to do with the sense of internal freedom or what I call self-mastery. So um, I suppose an attempt to, you know, I suppose someone like Stoner would say that you can't be free unless you can actually master your own desires, you know, unless you can become like a master of yourself, unless you can be autonomous, you can't be genuinely free. Now, what's interesting, I think, about his notion of ownness is that it's more, it's more active. It's more uh, to do with the individual's will or, or reclaiming, the, the, sorry, the individual rather reclaiming his or her own will to be free. And I just find it a more positive figure, if you like, or a more positive uh, idea of freedom than, than this, than the previous thinkers, um, figure of Bartleby, who as I said is a very kind of sort of passive figure, seemingly without will, without autonomy, without any kind of you know, will to be free as such. I mean, the first conclusion, I think, is to be a bit careful because, um, you know, in, in applying this notion of the insurrection as a kind of a direct way of understanding all of these contemporary, um, uh, you know, movements and uh, new forms of politics that I've been talking about. So um, we need to proceed, we need to tread uh, carefully, as it were, because, you know, if we're looking for, you know, within these two things that I've, just, I've discussed, if we're looking for a kind of a... Um, you know, a kind of a, a precise program for, for political action and political organization, we, we, we're going to be disappointed.
right? I mean, they don't really offer uh, any um, kind of guidelines or any sort of blueprint for, you know, for, for sort of telling us what to do or telling us how to proceed in the field of radical politics. Right? So we have to kind of apply these kinds of concepts in, in quite a sort of a, you know, sort of cautious way. Uh, we also have to, I suppose, be a bit careful about drawing too many points of similarity between these different movements that I've discussed. So even though I've suggested that there is this kind of new way of thinking about politics, which I've described in terms of the insurrection, you know, there's also very important differences, for instance, between, I don't know, Occupy Wall Street and, uh, you know, the protests in Hong Kong today, for instance, or, uh, you know, the sort of the Gilets Jaunes in France and, um, you know, Tahrir Square movement in Egypt in 2011. So we can't, I'm not suggesting all of these different movements and, um, uh, you know, insurrections, if you like, are, are the same or, or kind of, um, you know, represent the same kinds of concerns and the same issues. Uh, so, so, so that's, that's the second point, really. But, I mean, what I've, what, what I do claim, um, and if you like, my, I suppose my ultimate conclusion would be that, um, they do nevertheless share certain characteristics, which is to do with, um, once again, their desire for an, an, an autonomous political existence, um, their, uh, you know, the kind of the sort of decentralized, if you like, horizontal forms of political organization which they embody, their rejection of political parties and political representation, um, and their attempt, once again, to, um, as it were, develop a kind of a post-sovereign or post-statist form of politics, um, which is neither reformist. So, once again, it's not about reforming government or reforming the state, but it's not about overthrowing it either. Once again, it's about creating or cultivating um, autonomous and different forms of political decision-making uh, and political life, which kind of goes beyond or somehow transcends um, uh, you know, centralized state institutions. And that's why I think um, these movements are quite interesting. So even though you know, many of the concepts which I've discussed in this uh, essay um, don't, you know, sort of map on in a, in a straightforward way to understanding these movements. I think they do give us certain kinds of clues or insights into into how to understand um, many of these kinds of you know, contemporary movements, which which in a way seem to defy, um, you know, the existing language of political theory. So really, what I've tried to do, I suppose, in this paper is to kind of open up or change the language of, of political theory to kind of reflect um, this new, what I would call post-sovereign form of uh, politics that we're kind of seeing uh, today and, and, which, and, and which we're seeing more and more um, more and more of, I think, as, um, as time goes on. Mm -hmm.